Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, we're going to talk you through how we can change our habits with more compassion, how we can look at ourselves with balancing in the pros and the cons of why we do something so that we're not hard on ourselves, blaming ourselves, shaming ourselves for something that we struggle to give up. And to my help, I've got someone amazing, Stan Steindl, who's going to talk you through motivational interviewing and compassion-focused therapy and how those two together can help you shift your habits, moving towards a life that's more meaningful for you with less of a destructive or unhelpful impact on you. We're going to think about arguments for and against changing something. We're going to think about how therapy can facilitate that change. For instance, changing your habit around alcohol. We're going to roll with their resistance, the yes, but. Yes, I want to change, but I also like it. We're going to help you understand something called self-determination theory of not being told what to do. How we tend to resist when someone just points out what we should be doing about an unhelpful behaviour. So let's introduce my guest. Dr. Stan Steindl is a clinical psychologist in private practice at Psychology Consultants and an adjunct associate professor at School of Psychology at the University of Queensland, Brisbane, Australia. He is also co-director of the UQ Compassion and Mind Research Group. Stan has over 20 years experience as a therapist, supervisor, trainer and researcher and works with clients from motivational interviewing and compassion-focused therapy perspectives. He is the author of three books and several book chapters and research publications. His books include Compassion in a T-Shirt, The First 35 Scripts from 2020, and The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering, also from 2020. That also comes with a personal practice workbook. So let's welcome Stan and learn a bit more about The Gifts of Compassion. Welcome to the podcast, Stan. I'm really happy to have you here. Hello, Michaela. And we're, we've got quite a time difference going, so it's your evening and my morning, so we're going to try to play to our different energies here and different capacities, but we're just having a loose, lovely conversation about the gifts of compassion, because a lot of people have been seeing this floating around on social media, that, you know, be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself, but there's so many aspects of compassion that isn't just about turning it inwards, so I wanted to talk to you today to demystify some of these things and explain some of these concepts in simple terms. But before we do, tell the listeners a little bit about you and and why you're so passionate about compassion. Ah, well, thank you very much for having me on your show. It is at 6pm here in Brisbane, Australia, and on a Friday night. So um, I'm certainly, I think, ready to wind down after after the long the longish week but yeah i am a, a clinical psychologist just in private practice uh, have have worked in that capacity now for 
22 years, I think it is, of my private practice has been going for 22 years. And um, it's just a fairly general clinical practice, but at the heart of it, really, the, all the way along is, has been this compassionate motivation. I, I remember learning very early about people like Carl Rogers or uh, Viktor Frankl or um, Aaron Beck or these various psychology thinkers and writers and and so on and and of course you know at the heart of all of that is is a compassionate motivation a desire to be helpful i guess um and so it, it's sort of been a, a a lifelong or a professional lifelong kind of passion to to sort of explore what it is to be compassionate what it is to be helpful in that sort of way to be able to identify or, or notice or understand suffering really and and um and how to how to take helpful action to alleviate or or even you know prevent that that sort of suffering and also of course in oneself too you know that's that's been part of the journey for me a little bit is is to be helpful to others but along the way you know sort of it, is it possible to to kind of widen that circle a little bit one's own circle of compassion and and sort of include yourself as well and then that that balance there of of compassion and and self-compassion and so um yeah really what happened there was i became exposed some years ago to professor paul gilbert and and his work in compassion focused therapy and and compassionate mind training uh, and that became a, a sort of a, a or actually almost a, a new start for me in a way. You know, it certainly uh, really created a, a much deeper dive into thinking about and, and exploring and understanding compassion and, and how we can how we can do this, how how we can switch on that compassionate motivation for for others and ourselves. And and so yeah, that's really become. A sort of central focus for me and 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 for many others you know the 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 compassionate mind approach has has become a a central focus from here that's really a remarkable journey of how long you've been in private practice and the different models you draw upon so i guess how do you merge together compassionate mind training or compassion focused therapy with motivational interviewing you know can you explain to the listeners a bit more what motivational interviewing is and, and why does that matter Yes, well, I, I have two professional loves. <laughs> uh, one is motivational interviewing, and the other one is is compassion-focused therapy. And so I, I've sort of um, tried to find little ways that that they can they can help each other. But basically, motivational interviewing is an approach that really is designed to help with behaviour change, because people often feel ambivalent you know about change they they can almost feel sort of stuck or torn even between you know do i go this way or that way or do i keep up with this behavior or do i somehow make a change and and it's 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 tricky behavior change is is very difficult and and so motivational interviewing is an approach whereby we might have a conversation with someone about the arguments against change first of all you know someone might be thinking about 
giving up drinking might be an example. That, that's sort of where motivation and interviewing really began. They might be thinking about giving up drinking. And so we might actually start by exploring what their arguments against giving up drinking are, because that's a really important part of of the ambivalence there, you know, the, the sort of the no change side. And, and so we try to explore that and accept and validate that side. Um, and then we might just gently move towards the other side of the ambivalence. You know, what might be the arguments for change? What might be the arguments for giving up drinking? And, and we, we might then sort of really flesh that out and, and explore and elaborate upon those arguments for change. And then gradually it's this conversation that unfolds whereby a person can explore in that way and, and then gradually resolve their ambivalence, possibly towards making the change. But, you know, th there's a few uh, sort of elements of, of the, the spirit to MI. You know, for example, change is up to them, you know, that we really respect choices and we want to help to support autonomy for people to to make those choices and and we really want to try to you know respect uh you know what what people uh, might do next so that that's kind of motivational interviewing in a nutshell there's there's a lot to that as well we could talk about that for a long time but with compassion it can be tricky too now we often think oh you know of course compassion and self-compassion is is a really good thing it sort of in some ways is is kind of a, a no-brainer that, that compassion would be a good thing. But it's very interesting because we can feel two ways about that too. We, we can feel two ways about compassion. There, there might be a range of, of inhibitors there, things that get in the way of our compassion for others or our compassion for ourselves. We sometimes think of those as as fears blocks resistances to compassion. The, the, the fears might be, you know, what if I'm compassionate to another person and they just take advantage of me or, or use me up? Or the blocks might be, I'm just really not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to be helpful really to others. Or, or a resistance might be, ah, this compassion stuff is, is just, just like pity or, you know, it's, it's just, it's weak or something like that. So these are all um, fears, blocks and resistances, but from an MI point of view, they're a little bit like arguments for, against change. They're a little bit like these thoughts and feelings and arguments that a person has in their own mind against compassion or, or against self-compassion. So we can bring MI, motivational interviewing, to talk about compassion and compassionate motivation and compassionate action and explore those inhibitors, those fears, blocks and resistances, accept and, and kind of validate those. They're very important, actually. There's a lot of wisdom in those fears, blocks and resistances. And then just gently guide the person to also talk about their arguments for compassion or their arguments for self-compassion. What would they like to do about compassion? And if they were to have more compassion in their daily life, you know, how might they go about it? What, what might work for them? And, and what are some of the key reasons for them to, to sort of be more compassionate or more self-compassionate? That, that's often really important to explore, you know, like, what are your reasons for self-compassion? And not only reasons, but, you know, what might actually make it really important as well? What, what, what makes you feel like you might need more self-compassion? 
And from there, people might construct a, a, a sort of a, a case for, for compassion and, and a case for self-compassion in their life and, and make commitments there as well and, and, and get started. That's often the tricky bit with, with behavior change generally, but with compassionate action specifically is, is, is how do we just get started with that and, and kind of get the ball rolling? Motivational interviewing can, can kind of help to enhance that sort of motivation and commitment. So making a choice to be, you know, compassionate to others or to yourself is something that is easier to do when we also understand the resistance, understanding that, well, no wonder that there are reasons why you don't want to give up your drinking or don't want to stop being kind of kinder to yourself or taking better care of yourself because X, Y, and Z. So for people listening now, they might wonder, you know, what does that actually sound like in a therapy session? If you're working this through, working with these blocks and fears and resistances with someone who, for instance, to use the example of drinking there, Hmm. know that actually it would be an act of self-compassion to 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 reduce or give up drinking and it would be an act of compassion to maybe loved ones who are feeling the impact of their drinking perhaps how what would that sound like how do we talk about that to someone in a therapy session yes that's a that's a wonderful question Michaela I I, I really like to to sort of to think about that because I, I you know these these are such rich conversations you know the, the the per- we might say to someone literally, so tell us about your drinking and 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 and, and what what do you like about your drinking? And, and they might say things like, well, um, you know, it helps me to relax. You know, I, I get home at night and you know it's a stressful day and and uh, I'm I'm stressed but I'm exhausted but I you know I'm I'm still wired from the day and and alcohol helps me to relax and so then. Then the, the the therapist might say, "Yeah, well, we're relaxing at the end of the day. That's that's really important for you." And and so you know, trying to validate that that piece. And then the other person might say, "Yeah, this is one of my my biggest things. I I I feel so stressed all the time, and and alcohol really really relaxes me, um, and it helps me get to sleep too." And and then then you might say, the clinician might say, "Yeah, the." Sleep's tough as well, you know. Relax, relaxation is hard. Sleep is hard, and alcohol, alcohol really helps with that. And then the person might say, "Yeah, but of course, you know, it, it gets me to sleep. But then I just wake up in the middle of the night. I've got to go to the toilet, and I can't get back to sleep. And and so then you might say, "Yeah, I see what you mean. It, it's it, there's kind of two sides to it, isn't it? Really, there, on the one hand." It does help you to relax in the evenings, and it does help you to get to sleep. But on the other hand, it sort of has that sting in the tail. You know, it also wakes you up. It's kind of like the withdrawal symptoms at nighttime wake you up again, and 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 then you can't get to sleep. T- tell me more about that side. What what are some of the less good things about alcohol for you? What what are some of the things you don't like so much about the way alcohol affects you? And, and then on we might go from there. And, and, and so you can sort of almost see there that it's, it's really having a, a conversation that is, that, that is warm and compassionate and respectful, collaborative, really accepting and validating that these are some important things. The current behavior or, or the status quo is important in certain ways. You know, in that sense, it's, it's important for relaxation and important for sleep. So you don't want to push against that. You don't want to argue with any of that. But just listening, you know, advanced listening, exploring, 
and then eventually often people's intrinsic wisdom will will come to the surface and and they'll start to talk about the other side of their ambivalence as well that you know the fact that that actually um, alcohol is not great for sleep you know it, it actually wakes me up and then I'm even more tired the next day and and, and on they might start to go about sort of the downsides of drinking uh, the, the the change talk where, where they start to to make their arguments for change so when we allow people to fully sit with the benefits of actually what could be even a destructive behavior that actually there is something in it for me there's there's a reason what i'm doing this otherwise I've, this this behavior would have ceased already yes so there's a function to this behavior and when you describe it like this just having that curiosity as a therapist to explore well, what's in it for you? You know, what, what does it give you? Then it becomes a lot easier for that client to also then tell you what it's costing them without feeling so defensively painted into a corner or, you know, quote unquote, being told off by their therapist. Because yes. I think a lot of people have these fears that they come to a professional and they're going to get told off or they're going to be lectured or they're going to have, you know, a preaching kind of, um, mm. have a kind of a preaching attitude around, how what what they must do to change and what you're describing here i hope is going to settle some of those fears for people that are our stance as therapists is always to be curious not furious is to explore and understand and facilitate so i guess that's the the underpinning of motivational interviewing is to help people sit with the ambivalence and roll with that resistance and not kind of fight against it so that term rolling with resistance is something that's it's sometimes used in, in MI. Can you explain a bit more what that means? Yes, well, um, you know, nobody really likes being told what to do. You know, we, we there's that notion of self-determination theory where we as human beings like to be self-determined, you know, like we and sometimes if people if someone else tries to tell us what to do. Well, even if we know it's a good idea, sometimes we'll still argue with them or we'll we'll do the opposite just to be self-determined. And and so uh, when we get into those arguments, when, when one person is trying to tell the, the other person what's best for them and then the other person is arguing back or, or kind of resisting, you know, that that's kind of resistance. Or in, in motivational interviewing, they now refer to that as discord. So that, that we've got this discord happening between, for example, a client and a and a clinician, and rolling with resistance or rolling with res, with uh, discord, is where we really just try to you know sort of take a bit of a step back from all of that, not not engage in the arguments, avoid those arguments. A, a, a classic example would be the yes but conversations, you know, where the clinician says. You know, it really would be best for your health if you gave up drinking. And the the client says, yeah, but drinking really helps me to relax. And then the clinician goes, yeah, but in the long term, you know, it'll it'll be worse for your stress. It'll just make you more stressed because of the withdrawals. And and then the, the client says, yeah, but I've tried that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now we're in this kind of resistance. Yes, but. Yes, but is a really useful little th it's such a small thing but it's just a useful thing to watch out for in conversations because when we're in those yes but conversations then we're probably experiencing resistance and that's where we have to say okay no well, no worries that that sounds fair enough so, so tell me more about that bit tell me more about your feelings and thoughts to do with that bit and so we're now just trying to roll with resistance step away from the yes buts 
and just go back to good advanced listening and and exploring and and all of that sort of stuff and and once we once we let go of of those arguments and we start to to really listen just as you said before it, it, it's really it, it is quite special really the way that it frees people up i think to to think about their own ambivalence and and to you know sort of arrive at at the the arguments for change side of of their ambivalence as well and i think that's a really lovely way of summarizing it of how i can imagine that people would often get into clinches with spouses or well-meaning family members trying to get them to change and then they're just getting to this yes but mm. Which leads to, you know, arguments, disagreements, and I guess maybe more strife in the home life. When they come to the therapy session, they might expect to be told more of the same. But actually, we then facilitate them to explore. Okay, well, what's what's been helpful before? You know, how can you be helpful and not harmful to yourself? But we're going to do that in a way that's going to support you, mm. not to make you feel like you're painted into a corner or being attacked criticized mm. so i wonder if people who try to make changes you know experience in your experience who've made attempts many times before and failed that you know they tried to give up drinking to continue that example how does compassion play into that when we try to make changes and it doesn't work it's interesting that you mentioned you know conversations at home or conversations at work conversations in the therapy room i mean in, in a funny sort of a way they're, they're all just human human interactions, aren't they? And so these basic principles really apply to all sorts of conversations. Sometimes we might be the one being helped, and so we notice some of these little dynamics coming into play. But but sometimes it might be when we're trying to help others too, and and you know we might have our spouse or. You know, for me, I've got a 16-year-old son who um, uh, sometimes we have conversations about homework. And, and if I try to tell him what to do, he, he tends to sort of, um, you know, argue back. And, and so it, it's funny, in a, in a funny sort of a way, relationships kind of get us into this mess <laughs> because, you know, we're having these, these important conversations and there's a lot riding on it and we want the person to, to change. And so it's sort of coming out of relationships in a sense. But relationships can also get us back out of this mess again. You know, with the, if we can relate to one another and to ourselves in, in compassionate ways, then that's, that's the pathway sort of out of that discord, out of that conflict and, and towards, you know, change and growth and, and ultimately flourishing, you know, being able to stop and empathize with the other person, to see things from their perspective, to walk, walk in their shoes, so to speak, or to even resonate a little bit with how they might be feeling. And then to sympathize a little bit with what they're going through to feel moved by you know perhaps what they're facing or or the the, the kind of suffering that that they might be experiencing at the moment and then to come in with 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 good skills to manage our own our own feelings there as well so that when we so that we don't get too much personal distress in all of this because if we get distressed in those moments then that can cause us e either to avoid the conversation completely 
or to start to push because we're worried and we're wanting to make the other person change. So we engage the empathy, we engage the sympathy, we start to engage those distress tolerance kind of skills, and we really start to uh, activate that that compassionate motivation, the compassionate mind, really. Uh, and and you alluded to this a moment ago, you know. So we're having these conversations and we're thinking, you know, may I be helpful rather than harmful to myself and others in this conversation? May I be helpful rather than harmful to to myself and others? And and so so now we're engaging that compassionate motivation, and and that that really kind of creates a whole different effectiveness, I think, in in how we might start to relate to to, to others and, and re- relate to ourselves as well. That's a useful little mantra, isn't it, to try to kind of relate to yourself as well as other people differently. And we mm. think, what is helpful? And if I if I cannot be helpful to myself in this very moment, how can I at least choose to not be harmful? You know, how can I try to not add insult to injury or layer it on with more destructive behaviour? Mm. If it's hard to make the change at the moment, how can I try to be helpful to myself in facilitating that change? So mm. I hope that people who have been listening get some ideas that this is not about push, push, push. You know, mm. make yourself. And it's kind of the boot camp uh, principles we've been having for, for decades. So if, if you want change, you know, just work hard at it. And um, I guess we also don't want to elude that compassion is a simple, easy, um, soft choice. Actually, there's a lot of strength encouraging compassion. I wonder if you can talk a bit more about that piece. If someone is looking to change your behavior, they're really stuck and they've been making attempts for years. What is the strength and courage or compassion going to do for them to make those changes? Yes, the, the, there's a, a social psychologist here in, in Australia called Hugh Mackay who, who wrote a book called The Good Life. And there's a little line in there that says something like, a good life is not the same as a life that always feels good. And I suppose this is the tough bit with with compassion and self-compassion and making choices that we kind of know are in the service of our own health and well-being. And, and that is that, you know, often they are, you know, sort of difficult choices or, or you know, harder Hard, the, the harder option or, you know, drinking, again, is, is a classic example where drinking is actually very effective at helping us to decrease the discomfort that we might be feeling in any given moment. It does. It, it works. It, 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 it does that. And at the very same time, it leads to quite often bigger problems later problems in our relationships or in our work or in our finances or maybe even legally or eventually to our health and and so on. And so compassion and self-compassion are often about trying to think, what is it that I really need right now? What what is it that might be most helpful to me? And and sometimes it might be to take a break or to, to sort of have a day, you know, watching Netflix or or taking a bubble bath or you know those sorts of options and sometimes it might be getting up in the morning and 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 going to to personal training at at the the local park or it might mean getting my taxes done or you know the the so so there's often a lot of wisdom strength and courage there that comes into 
into compassion and self-compassion kind of the wisdom to know that that you know this this is tricky this is tricky stuff and life is difficult and 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 there are certain urges and desires and thoughts and feelings that we might have and that, that sometimes they can make it but make it more difficult as well and and so you know but but also knowing that we, we can grow and change and, and flourish and so the wisdom around how to do that and then the strength and courage to take those steps even though it might feel difficult or uncomfortable or or even a sort of punishing in in the the short term a classic example too i mean we've mentioned things like drinking and behavioral changes like that but i was thinking too that you know self criticism's an interesting one and i would be keen to hear what you had to say too but but people often feel like there are there are real benefits to their self-criticism. They need that self-criticism. They worry that if they weren't so self-critical, that they might get lax or lazy or unmotivated, and and that, that self-compassion just feels like being too self-indulgent, and and so they maintain this this kind of self-critical, especially sometimes a, a really self-hating. You know, self-condemning, you know, self-attacking type of self-criticism, and they and they keep going with that, feeling like it it sort of um, helps in the in the short term or something. But 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 actually, you know, that kind of self-hating, self-criticism really can lead to very painful feelings of of shame and 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 despair and 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 actually low motivation and and so on. And so. You know, it takes a lot of strength and courage there as well to think, you know, if I can I dare to do that, can I dare to make a shift to my self-critical thinking and and move to a more self-compassionate approach where it's still about wisdom, it's still about strength, it's still about courage, it's still about being committed to to sort of, you know, being at my my best and having aspirations, but without some of that more self-hating quality to the way that I treat myself. You know, can I dare to make that shift? And and that would certainly be a, a self-compassionate shift. But it yeah, absolutely takes strength and courage to to kind of do all of that. Yes, absolutely. I resonate so much with that, Stan, because it's that sense of that the compassionate part of you that we can cultivate through therapy, through practice, through compassionate mind training. That part of you is bothered by meeting your goals too. So if you soften your inner critical voice, then it's not like you're then going to not be bothered about reaching achievements or meeting targets or goals or aspirations you have in your life. You're just going to do it with a lot less strife and expended energy. Mm. So that's one of the things I often talk about when I work with um, kind of overperforming or high achieving people who are very ambitious. So I help them to kind of meet that ambition, but not drown in it. And this is kind of subtle difference there. Mm. And what I like about how you're describing it is that you're not going for the, it's giving you all of this stuff. You know, the self-critical voice is, is kind of trying to protect you from being lazy, but it's not working and it's making you feel more um, distressed. So you're not using the but, you're using the and. So mm. it's giving you all of these things and it's costing you all of these things. Much like I did, I noticed that subtle, way of how you describe that about the drinking that yep. you know it's giving you this stress relief to begin with and it's also making it harder for you to sleep later in the evening mm. so bookending those two different sets of emotional experiences 
And especially because one is short term and one is long term. It can be really, really hard to shift those around. So when we do things that give us short term relief, because it's a long term pain, that is much more preferable for us as humans, unfortunately, than doing something that gives us short term pain, but gives us long term relief. So I often sort of draw that out with people to show them actually developing compassion around that, how understandable and natural and normal it is for us as humans to pick the first one to go for the the chocolate cake even though you get a a, you know a sugar rush and feel awful afterwards because that is what we're going to do you know it's very uncomfortable for us to go for well I'm just going to tolerate this I'm going to sit with all of these emotions just so I get the the long-term benefits Mm. it's uh I don't think that's naturally in our human nature I don't know what you want to say about that about the short-term and long-term effects and how people can choose wisely about that Yes, it, it's, it just seems, you know, so unreasonable <laughs> that it has to be this way. But, um, but yes, yeah, so it, wh- why can't, you know, kind of chocolate and ice cream and, and Netflix and, and burgers or something be really good for our health? But um, uh, it feels good in the, in the short term, but um, it's often those more delayed consequences that are that are the negative ones and and yeah as as human beings we are much more influenced by the immediate consequences to any given behavior and so if the immediate consequences are positive and the uh, more delayed consequences are, are the negative ones then we're much more likely to be influenced by those immediate positive consequences and and I liked how you said the word and rather than the word but because that that's that's what ambivalence is isn't it you know ambivalence is this and that you know at the very same time you know i i i want to be um less self-critical and i don't want to be less self-critical at the very same time and and it's 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 and uh you know oftentimes this is a, a, a this is the key really is to to kind of explore and, and sort of understand and, and kind of resolve, you know, th- that ambivalence. I mean, ambivalence never completely goes away, but, but we can kind of resolve it to the point where we might tilt towards change and, and start to, to, to give it a go. So is that a bit of the, the wisdom piece of having that insight and clarity about human nature that we often do feel ambivalence? We often have a mixed range of emotions. We often do go for the the short term gain that has long term pain. That is mm. just oh, isn't that such a um, you know a headache of being human? Mm. So I think that's what I love about the compassion um, theory that we understand. It's the first an explanation of what it means to be human and how hard it is to be human with the weird, tricky brains we have and how we go for these short term um, rewards like scrolling on Instagram because you get that dopamine kick and it feels really good. And then you realize you've wasted an hour and you're wondering, well, what am I doing? Mm. Um, so this, all of these things to, to do with changing our behavior starts with that reality check that it's hard to be human. And I love how you merge together motivational interviewing, uh, which is aimed at changing behavior, but also not doing it in a sort of push, push, push way, but bringing in the compassion piece to understand your suffering Leading up to this point, you know, everyone has a journey coming into your therapy room. You meet a human who's lived for decades and they've collected experiences along the way. So this has been a great conversation to help us understand that we do make better efforts at changing 
destructive or unhelpful or harmful behaviors if we soften that um, self-critical voice with compassion and and approach ourselves with more kindness mm. so uh, for those of you listening who want to hear more about that um i did a previous interview with sharu isadi about how we can kind of change our behaviors with kindness and She's written a beautiful book called The Kindness Method. And speaking of books, Stan has also written a beautiful book called The Gifts of Compassion. So I wonder just if we can draw our conversation about compassion to a close by thinking a little bit more about what you put into the book and why you wrote this book. Ah, yes, thank you. The Gifts of Compassion is really my attempt at, at trying to kind of bring together what really is a very rich uh, approach to uh sort of to to cultivating the the compassionate mind and there's there's many books excellent wonderful books out there um yours included well thank you <laughs> my attempt was to really uh kind of create a, a sort of a, a a plain language introduction to compassion focused therapy cultivating the compassionate mind bringing compassion and self compassion into into one's life working with anxiety and anger and sadness but also working with self-criticism and shame uh, and then moving to sort of improving relationships healthy relationships and uh, forgiveness and 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 so on and so it, it's it really is just a, it, a sort of a, an attempt at kind of creating that that sort of um, entry point into understanding the compassionate mind it comes along with a little workbook as well and so people can keep notes about their their own compassionate journey as they're working from from chapter to chapter in in the gifts of compassion and if people wanted to buy this book because obviously they know that you're in in australia and i'm in the uk if they wanted to buy this book is it available around the world what do people do to get it yeah it's available at, at amazon and booktopia and those sorts of places it's also available here direct from the the publisher and um if anyone is is interested too they they can go to my website stansteindl.com um it's exciting i just created this website michaela so um i was very proud of Amazing. very proud of myself but uh anyway on that website there are links as well to to be able to to purchase those those books fantastic what a great achievement i was just thinking to myself that was not your previous website uh url was it no. So well, well done for explaining all of these concepts in a simple ways, giving examples from the therapy room, demystifying compassion as not a pity, uh, kind of pitiful, selfish, kind of weak choice, but it's a courageous, wise, strong choice to make to step up to challenges in your life, to do hard things for the benefit of yourself and others, to, to get the long-term gains. So it's been a beautiful conversation. I want to just round it off briefly by thinking about the pause purpose play elements you know to give the listeners a kind of insight into what someone who's been in private practice for 22 years practicing all these compassion things what do you do to give yourself rest recovery pause you know in in our terms we would say getting into our soothing system what would you do for those kind of things well in terms of of pause i i the the Probably the, the the key thing that I try to practice on a very regular basis is bringing it back to the body and trying to uh, slow down the body, slow down the mind, uh, using some of those um, you know uh, soothing rhythm breathing practices, body posture. Um, you know we we often try to 
just sort of sit upright but relaxed and kind of roll back the shoulders, open up the chest a little bit, lift the head and getting into a, a compassionate posture, slowing down the breathing, breathing in for three, out for three, breathing in for four, out for four, breathing in for five, out for five, changing the, the expression on the face, creating a friendly expression in a way, relaxing the brow and relaxing the jaw, maybe a, a faint smile even, a warm and, and friendly facial expression, and then just those friendly inner voice tones, you know, body slowing down, mind slowing down, and really trying to slow down the mind and body, create a sense of calm. Because a calm mind thinks differently, and if we can slow down the, the, the body and slow down the mind, then we can feel more grounded, more stable, more, and, and, and stronger. And we can think differently about whatever the, the challenges you know, might be that will surely face us you know, each, each day and, and each hour. So that would be what I do on a pretty regular basis to, to pause. I would say that, to be honest, breathing really punches above its weight. <laughs> you know, like sometimes people hear about breathing and they think, you know, oh, yeah, breathing, that's, that's good. But actually, if we can really learn about it and, and practice, you know, that sort of soothing rhythm breathing and gradually embody that, it, it really does, uh, you know, it, it really has a powerful effect on, on, um, on how we can then, you know, kind of carry ourselves into our day. Absolutely. And it's and layering that up as well with the, the gentle smile on the face, the posture we use. So we you know, we can be kind of dogmatic about the breathing, thinking there you're sitting there looking really angry and going, one, two, three, one, two, three. Yes. And it's, you know, we can breathe in that way and it's not really sending the right signals to the body anyway. It's, it's actually it's just the whole package of how you are uh, responding to your body. So great ways of hearing what you do personally in your practice and also tips for what people can do so soothing breathing rhythm or soothing rhythm breathing sometimes it's phrased that way you know there are lots of practices just on youtube and a lot of us um, compassion focused therapy practitioners give them away for free so there's lots of different ways to get hold of a practice like that where you get guided in your breathing mm. and does that then help you when you're kind of calming down does that help you to to step into things that are meaningful and purposeful for you, to do things to lead you towards your life goals, does that make a difference to purpose, do you, Stan? I, I think absolutely. So uh, if we are able to manage a little bit that threat system and, and the, the fight-flight response and the way that our, our, our heart might be racing or whatever, and we can sort of down-regulate a lot of that and activate the soothing system, then it just puts us in a, in a kind of a... A frame of mind where we can we can think you know what 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 is really what, what what's really important to me in this moment what what was what would I really like to do that would bring me closer to my values you know how do I want to interact with this person so that I'm I'm, I'm staying true to all of that and 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 also for me really the you know how, how can I be helpful um, what what can I perhaps do to be helpful to myself and others in, in this moment. And so I think I, I, it's sort of, I, I'm not, sh it, it's a bit funny to say, I guess, but, but really that, that compassionate motivation is, is kind of a real sense of purpose, I think, for, for, for me. And, and uh, Paul Gilbert talks about 
compassion under the duvet. You might have mentioned that in, in other episodes, that idea of just before you get out of bed, you know, just sort of slowing down the body, using the breathing and so on, and then just setting a sort of a compassionate intention for the day. You know, may, may I be able to, to help others today and may I be able to, to make choices that are helpful to myself and, and really kind of setting the purpose there before you even, you know, climb out from under the duvet or, or as we call it here, the, the doona. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you call it over there as well. But... I, d- I did not know that, yeah. but that you learn something new every day. And that's, yeah, I love that practice because it's so simple. Yeah. It sort of sets an intention. It was something we know is being done, you know, for thousands of years in, you know, Eastern philosophies and in yoga practices. The setting an intention also connects you with your purpose. How do I want to show up today? Which version of me do I want to have in the driving seat in this moment? Mm. And that's very hard to do if you're in your threat system, if you're flying off the handle, that actually calming down your body and mind makes it easier to step into that purpose, to step into who you want to be towards yourself, towards others, having that compassionate motivation. So that's a beautiful thing. Last thing I want to ask you about pause, purpose and play is obviously then what happens when we're calming down the threat system by stepping into our soothing system can be a bit more purposeful of how we want to show up. What happens to things like play then? How does that facilitate for us to be more playful and experience joy? Yes, well, I was thinking about this and and, um, really I was going to mention two things. One is that if we can sort of feel grounded and you know, kind of stabilize things and feel calm and, and, and really connect with the here and now, I think opportunities for play just start to appear. You know, it, it, compassion isn't deeply serious and, and you know, brow-furrowing stuff. You know, compassion actually is often very playful. And, and for me, you know, stepping, in fact, I'll probably do this just when we finish, you know, stepping outside of, of my little telehealth room here and, and lying down on the floor and rolling around with my chocolate Labrador. To me, that is both full of soothing system and full of compassion and, and also a big part of, of how I might try to kind of play. He certainly enjoys it as well and seems to benefit, but uh i i can't speak highly enough of you know connecting and and playing with with our furry friends and then the other one that's really starting to fascinate me at the moment i'm not sure whether you've experienced i think you might have experienced this uh recently too actually michaela but um is is that notion of of forest bathing mm. being in nature and going into a forest and really connecting with sort of your senses and mindfulness and, and being able to, to, to smell and touch and see and hear and, and maybe even taste, you know, elements of, of the forest and, and really connecting with all of that. And, and that's something that uh, I'm, I'm really, you know, sort of planning to, to, to dive more into. I've made a commitment even to um to really sort of explore some of some of that part of of play and and connection with with sort of nature and and life 
Amazing. And I guess sort of living in Australia, you have slightly different climate to us as well. So you might have more opportunity for fun, playfulness outside in, in, in your elements. So yeah. thank you for that lovely summary of pause, purpose and play. That's obviously why I created this sort of signature system of how you can move from one state to the other by slowing down your threat system. It's really hard to move straight into play when we're frazzled and irritated and feeling attacked or self-critical. It's then hard to kind of relax into the playfulness and the joy of life. So beautiful summary, Stan. The final thing to give our listeners is a little kind of permission you want to give them or a little pressure you want to take off them. What, what would be the final takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, so I think that the the pressure often arises from within. Now, by, by all means, I'm not saying that there aren't also external pressures and, and so on, but, but as you said, we have these tricky brains and, and they, they really are exquisite at helping us to survive and, and reproduce, really. You know, that's what evolution kind of does. But, but you know, the, 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 our tricky brains aren't so much designed to make us happy and so you know our, our our thoughts and feelings and urges and so on often that will bring rise to, to to suffering of one sort or another and 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 probably one of those elements is is the way that we monitor ourselves and we monitor ourselves in the social context and where we fit and how what what's our status and and how well are we doing and are people approving of us and and then then what arises out of that is 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 that self criticism and, and that 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 sort of uh, sometimes much more attacking self criticism and 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 I, I guess it, it's an interesting way to phrase it I suppose but yeah I I, I guess I, I would love people to feel able to give themselves permission perhaps to just soften a little bit that self-critical voice and just sort of kind of warm it up somewhat give it give it some warmth and 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 give it some 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 wisdom strength and courage and 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 perhaps even just that little bit of kindness and, and see if you can shift it to something like compassionate encouragement so you know like if you think back to your favorite teacher they probably weren't the ones who were hypercritical and and putting you down and attacking you about things, but rather they they understood you and they believed in you and and they 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 talked to you and they were they sort of expressed things and and they encouraged you and and so that that's that's the little shift you know giving yourself permission to just soften the self criticism warm it up a little bit and just shift it across to that to that notion of, of compassionate encouragement, you know, like, like a really good teacher or might, might, might do, or, or in fact, like you might do for one of your friends too, but, but just offering that, mm -hmm. that piece to yourself. That's an amazing way to finish that. This is a good summary of what compassion focused therapy aims to do as well of how we can treat ourselves with more kindness and compassion meaning that we can then encourage ourselves that's the word courage in built into the word isn't it yes. to do hard things to step up to meet our challenges of the external pressure if we also soften the internal pressure a bit so thank you yes. so much for being a fantastic guest and i will let you move into your friday evening to have some fun and playfulness thank you michaela and thank you for everything that you do so dear listener I do hope that you are compassionate to yourself. 
And if you're not, I hope that you are learning to identify these fears, blocks and resistances that we talked about today. What's getting in the way of you being kinder to yourself? And what's getting in the way of you being more helpful rather than harmful to others? If you want to explore more about compassion work, you can tune into Stan's Compassion in a T-shirt YouTube channel and you can find an episode there with me, Michaela Thomas, where we talk about perfectionism, couples compassion and all sorts of things that are helpful for you to address your inner critic. If you need a bit more help than that, you can check out my course, The Compassionate Couple, by going to thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash thecompassionatecouple. And until I speak to you next time, do please take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.